Sir Richard Branson, the billionaire philanthropist and founder of Virgin, wrote a call to action for HR parties of one everywhere. On Virgin.com, Branson wrote, one thing we've learned is that standing up for LGBT rights involves moving with the times and constantly adjusting what we say and do to make sure we're acting as inclusively as possible. If Richard Branson cares about this for his organization, his people, you probably should too. Let's talk about how we got here. On Monday, June 15, 2020, the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 decision that the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects gay, lesbian, and transgender employees from discrimination based on sex. The decision was a big victory for the LGBTQ community. And a lot of the media attention has been around uh, the fact that Judge Neil Gorsuch ruled with the majority. Not everyone saw that one coming. It's not every day that HR parties of one get a Supreme Court ruling that impacts their day to day. This is exciting. But what does it actually mean for your organization? Do you have to rewrite policies? Do you have to ask employees to include their preferred gender pronouns in their email signatures? Welcome to HR Party One. I'm your host, Ryan McCoslin, and today we're gonna to talk about three things. First, what the ruling is and what led up to it. Second, what it means for HR. And three, what steps HR should take moving forward under this new ruling. First, let's talk about how we got here. It's time for one of my favorite segments, Timeline Time where we bring you up to speed on HR's present by explaining the past. Federal law governing employee discrimination has developed over the last 75 years or so. In 1944, Winifred C. Stanley introduced HR 5056 prohibiting discrimination in pay on account of sex, which did not pass at the time. The issue languished until 1963 when Congress passed the Equal Pay Act which prohibits discrimination on account of sex and payment of wages by employers. The Equal Pay Act must have been a historical tipping point because just one year later, we got what is widely considered to be the most important discrimination legislation ever passed by the federal government with Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Title VII was motivated by the U.S. government's desire to end workplace discrimination against African Americans. It outlaws workplace discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Then in 1972, Congress gave authority to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, to file lawsuits against private companies. Six years later, in 1978, the EEOC got even more powerful. President Jimmy Carter transferred responsibility for enforcing the Equal Pay Act from the Department of Labor to the EEOC. Then in 1982, the, the year I was born, the great state of Wisconsin became the first state to prohibit private and public employers from discriminating against employees based on sexual orientation. Wisconsin leading the charge. Uh, the coldest I've ever been, by the way, was, was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in February one year when I was waiting to get into a Marquette basketball game with my brother. Uh, but Wisconsin, I still love you. In 2014, President Obama signed into law Executive Order 13672. This order prohibited federal contractors from discriminating against workers and job applicants based on gender or sexual identity. In 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court made same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states in deciding the case of Obergefell versus Hodges. Judge Anthony Kennedy wrote the opinion for the majority. And I was at a wedding a few years ago where uh, one of the readings was the closing paragraph from that opinion. 
And whatever your political persuasion is, it's inarguably a beautiful piece of legal writing. Here it is. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. It would misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it. Respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. The judgment of the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit is reversed. It is so ordered. And that brings us to 2020. The Equal Rights Act of 1964 changed the national employment landscape by providing protection for all Americans. Or almost all Americans. Unfortunately, the LGBTQ community was considered a gray area. They weren't explicitly protected. And as a result, individuals in this community have had to fight for equal protection under the law for decades. With this June 2020 Supreme Court ruling, that gray area is no more. Here's what this majority opinion had to say. The answer is clear. An employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. Sex plays a necessary and undisguisable role in the decision. Exactly what Title VII forbids. We've concluded the history lesson for the day. Now let's talk about what this actually means for HR with some examples. The ruling applies to employers with 15 or more employees. If you have fewer than 15 employees, you still have to comply with state or local regulations. But this one doesn't apply to you. Also, workers who typically aren't covered by anti-bias and anti-discrimination laws, like uh, independent contractors, are also not shielded by this decision. That said, even if you're under that 15 employee threshold, or even if you primarily work with independent contractors, you still ought to adhere to the protections and the regulations embedded in the Civil Rights Act. Not only will these efforts potentially protect employers from harmful litigation, they can also foster a more inclusive environment, which can improve retention and recruitment efforts. Also, hey, it's the right thing to do. Now let's look at some examples of how this can actually play out at your organization. In our first scenario, you have two employees both applying for the same managerial role in their department. Melissa, a lesbian woman who's been with the company for four years and done a great job, and Kayla, a straight woman who's only been with the company for two years but is more qualified for the role due to previous work experience outside the organization. Who do you promote? Here's the answer. You give it to Kayla, the candidate who's most qualified and the best fit for the role based on her experience. The reasoning should be merit-based and well-documented. The candidate's gender identity or sexual orientation should have nothing to do with this. That's the whole point. In our next scenario, a client asks to have a different representative handle his account because he suspects his current representative, Jerome, is gay. Reassigning the client would cost Jerome commissions on his second biggest account. Jerome's manager, Jessica, doesn't know how to handle this, so she comes to HR. What do you do? Here's what you do. You and Jessica go to that client contact 
and with courage and conviction say, Jerome is your assigned representative. Is there anything wrong with his performance? When it comes back that Jerome has done an excellent job handling the account and even found ways to save the client money, you and Jessica need to say that you can't and won't reassign a new representative based on Jerome's sexual orientation. In our last scenario, you, the HR party of one, walk into the break room and you hear uh, an employee, Enrique, saying to another employee, Gary, that, that Amy doesn't dress feminine enough and she's probably scaring off customers. But you just saw Amy out on the floor and she's adhering to the dress code and furthermore, she always is. What do you do here? Do you just ignore the comments and, and, and go get some coffee? Or do you do something about it? The answer is yeah, you need to say something. You need to tell Enrique that comments like that could constitute sexual harassment and they won't be tolerated. And while we're on the topic of commenting on employees' appearance, this is a simple rule. Don't do it. It's too easy to cross the line. Comments as seemingly innocuous as, you look nice today, or hey, I like your new dress, could be taken the wrong way. This doesn't just apply to the LGBTQ community, but to all employees. Encourage your team to just never comment on appearance. The exception is when someone is not adhering to the dress code. And that's the only exception. Now let's talk about the steps you, the HR party of one, can take going forward. This is an opportunity for you to elevate your role and improve the health and overall well-being of your organization. It's a chance to be an example. A chance to make a statement, both internally and externally, that your organization is a place where everyone is welcome, where people are tolerant, and where discrimination has no place and isn't a part of your culture. We're going to be talking about policy here, but it doesn't go without saying that first, you need to get your foundation, your underpinning right. You need to create a culture where acceptance and tolerance and equality are woven into the fabric. A place where employees can, can flourish and become the best versions of themselves. One way we've tried to do that on our team at Bernie Portal is we selected a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, to be a cornerstone, a foundation for our culture. It informs the way that we treat each other, and it gives us common ground for communicating. And when preparing for this episode, a quote from Covey came to mind. You can buy a person's hand, but you can't buy his heart. His heart is where his enthusiasm, his loyalty is. You can buy his back, but you can't buy his brain. That's where his creativity is, his ingenuity, his resourcefulness. Any organization can pay employees to do their jobs. But the highest performing organizations, the best organizations, have employees who are bought in with their hearts and their minds. Now let's talk about policy. What can you actually do? There are several approaches that organizations can take to promote inclusivity. You can use any combination of these approaches based on the needs and culture of your own organization. Maybe your organization has seven employees and you don't think any of this applies, but you still want to update your discrimination policies to adhere to the Supreme Court ruling. If you don't already have an anti-harassment or anti-discrimination policy, we strongly encourage you to write one. We've got a blog post on how to write an employee handbook. I'll leave a link to it in the description. 
There's some tips in there that will help. Let's look at an example of a real anti-discrimination policy. It comes from our parent company, Bernard Health. It states, it is a violation of this policy to discriminate in the provision of employment opportunities, benefits, or privileges, to create discriminatory work conditions, or to use discriminatory evaluative standards in employment if the basis of that discriminatory treatment is, in whole or in part, the person's race, color, national origin, age, religion, disability status, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, genetic information, or marital status. Now, that's just a section from our overall anti-discrimination policy that we require every employee to read and sign off on before they start their first day. But there's another important component of our anti-discrimination policy, and that is that we have established a formal complaint process. Our complaint process is well thought out and extensive, and I'll save the details for a future episode. But for now, your employees should know that you take harassment and discrimination seriously, and they should know how to file a complaint if they have one. In addition to updating your policies, you should also look at your job descriptions. Avoid using gendered titles like salesman or chairman. And if you include pronouns, don't use his or her. Instead, use a gender-neutral pronoun like there. Once you've updated policies and reviewed your job descriptions, HR parties of one can take the lead on providing additional training to generate or, or promote inclusivity across your organization. Ideas uh, are, could include but aren't limited to the following. Mandatory anti-harassment and anti-discrimination training. You may already be doing this, but having employees take a course on harassment and discrimination in the workplace can help remind them of what's not allowed and what to be on the lookout for to ensure a healthy and inclusive work environment for all. Mental health and emotional support resources. This one's so important we did an entire episode on mental health and the benefits of employee assistance programs, or EAPs for short. Additional diversity or bias recognition training. Implicit bias training might be helpful for team members to raise awareness on how it can unconsciously affect their decision making. And manager training. At the next manager meeting, you can remind managers that any comment about anyone's sexual orientation or identity just isn't appropriate, no matter how good-natured the intent or how close you think you are inside or outside of work. Some employers may go even further by encouraging employees to include preferred pronouns and email signatures, identifying specific ways they can celebrate Pride Month, or establishing an LGBTQ organization within their company where employees can meet, gather, and, and discuss issues. For example, Richard Branson's company, Virgin, asked employees to add their preferred pronouns to their email signatures. In the blog post we referenced at the beginning of this episode, Richard Branson went on to say, recently, that's meant getting up to speed with how we understand gender, gender diversity. Celebrating gender diversity means ensuring that a person's own sense of self and personal experience of gender is welcome at Virgin. One tip on this, if you decide to encourage employees to add their preferred pronouns to email signatures, make it optional. Some employees would just prefer not to discuss this with coworkers. We've covered a lot today, but this is an important topic and it's important for HR parties of one to get it right. As always, I'm gonna leave you with some homework and some resources. You can learn more on how to address and stop workplace discrimination with our blog post, Workplace Discrimination, Resources, Training, Labor Laws, and more. For more on this topic, check out our blog post, What to Know About the Supreme Court's Ruling on LGBTQ Protections.
and create a detailed, easy to read employee handbook that sets the tone for your company's culture and expectations with our blog post on how to write an employee handbook. Hopefully you found this helpful. If you have, don't forget to like, subscribe, and please share this with other HR parties of one who could benefit ensuring a safe, inclusive work environment free of discrimination and harassment has always been a key role for HR. This really reminds us that there's still work to be done. Hopefully you coming away from this episode inspired that you can make your corner of the world just a little bit better. Remember your job is as strategic as you make it.